and welcome back to the Brothers Book Club Podcast. We are here with another book review episode. This is where we review and recommend something for you to read, or perhaps recommend that you avoid reading something. We'll see how today's episode goes. <laughs> we are including another edition in the Little Black Classics Penguin set. That is a collection that Penguin put together of 80 pieces of world literature that are considered classics. We are on episode number 65. So if this is your first one, there's 64 back episodes you can go listen to after this. Go wild. Take the weekend off and just it just inject a lot of old <laughs> literature into your veins. Don't do that, actually. Take it, take it slow. We put one out a week for a reason, people. You don't want to overdose on this stuff. It's pretty potent. And yeah, we're here with a nonfiction piece by Richard Hacklut, who was an English writer, and he wrote about the voyage of Sir Francis Drake around the globe. That is the title of this work. Joining me on the other end is the ponderer, Amanda. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Welcome back, Amanda. Are you glad to be here? Um, I'm always glad to be here, even when talking you, about this kind of uh -huh. stuff. <laughs> That's what I was trying to yeah, I was trying to lead you on with that one. I'm glad to be here today for this episode. Uh, we've had a couple of high recommendations in past episodes. I know we both enjoyed the Conrad and the, wasn't the, in the new set, wasn't that also the haiku? We both enjoyed the haiku. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we, we've hit on some things that we've enjoyed and then there will be today's episode. Let's just dive right into this. Uh, one thing we're doing in these back 20 or final 20 episodes is we're trying to be a little bit more clear up front about the who, what, and why of this collection they've included. So who wrote this, as we mentioned, is name of Richard Hacklute was a writer in the 1500s, late 1500s. Mm -hmm. He primarily, I guess, wrote in favor of England's exploration of the globe, like early days of colonization almost. Not that they, I don't think they had set up any permanent colonies by then, but sort of were beginning to exchange resources and yada yada. And so it seems like he was a writer, I guess, just promoting that. They call him a propagandist on the Penguin Classic. Mm -hmm. Not sure if you've felt that in the text, but that's what they call him. Um, I didn't pick up on that until like a bit into the reading, but yeah. <laughs> I think once you know it, it stands out for sure. Yeah. It's one of those things. Once you have the lens, you can't stop thinking about it. What is this collection about? Well, it's two different entries, right? Did you you read both? Didn't yeah. you? Uh, I did not okay. finish the second one, the uh, the Candish one, because I was like, oh my god, I get it. I don't think I need to read anymore. <laughs> yeah, I ended up finishing it. I w I'd be lying if I didn't say I skimmed a couple paragraphs towards the end. It, it does get a little long in the tooth, as they say. But yes, there's two. One is about Sir Francis Drake, and one is about Thomas Candish of Trimley. Both have very long titles. So there were two different entries in here, and they were basically extended journal entries about his travels. Is that what you would call them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, essentially har difficult to read journal entries. Yeah. <laughs> very impersonably written. <laughs> yep. The final question we'd like to address then before we jump into the review is why would Penguin include this? We can only speculate, of course. We don't know what the editors there were thinking when they picked it. I suppose it's because Sir Francis Drake is just a very important historical figure. He's the first person to circumnavigate the entire globe in one trip, I believe. That's what the internet taught me. If you would have plucked his name out of a hat before I read Wikipedia for this episode, I would have just said he was a famous like ocean explorer. I, I didn't know that he was the first person to do that, mm -hmm. to be recorded to do that. I'm not sure if you knew that either. I did not know that. Yeah. So pretty famous English explorer during the Tudor period, a pretty important person. And this guy must have just followed him around on a couple voyages and kept track of the journeys and the adventures that they had. Also kept pretty diligent notes of the things they had with them. Yeah. And and what latitude and longitude they were at. And Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> 
bit of a navigator's heart in him, I think, this uh, hack loot guy. Yeah. And so those are the basics. Let's uh, jump into the reviews, as we always do, with a one-sentence simile. Amanda, I'll let you set us up, as always. What was reading this like to you? Uh, I said that reading this is like examining the ingredients of your favorite kid's cereal. Um, so you mostly okay. skim it, right? Cause you're just like, okay, I get it. I get it. It's a list form. And then you stumble upon something that you're like, wait, what is that? What, what is that supposed mm-hmm. to be? But then because it's a list, there's no real explanation for it. And you just kind of have to move on. <laughs> right. Well, you get into the glycerides and glutamates and yeah. polypeptides <laughs> and who, I don't even just making up science terms at this point, but yes, <laughs> reading an ingredients list of a process product in 2020 it can be an extremely foreign experience <laughs> yeah <laughs> unless you have some advanced science knowledge you truly do not know what things are going on in there That's nitrates true. and such mm-hmm. so it felt would you describe it as an alienating read for you then um at times yeah because the parts that i w- stopped to really like that I found like interesting and not so much something that i could just skim through he never actually like developed so mm-hmm. uh, yeah. he's there's little side comments about things that he doesn't actually explain. And, and so it's, it's alienating in that I was just so bored with it. Yeah. And, and it was just reading a list a lot of the time for me. It's a type of nonfiction where you feel the several hundreds of years in development and style yeah. and genre and changes and stuff. You feel that heavily here. Yeah. There's n- <laughs> this would never be published today, for example. Uh, just <laughs> yeah. it, it kind of an absurd thing to say, I guess. A lot of the things we've read wouldn't be, but this especially so. You really feel it in this one, I think. Yeah. I wrote that reading this was like, so there's a video game series I've played a lot of throughout the years called Total War. It's basically like a civilization manager with war uh, game stuff thrown into it so you manage troops and it basically there's two parts right you can either manage the fighting like mm-hmm. i'm on a battlefield and i'm moving the units and I'm, it's like you're a general from the sky right and then there's another part where you're managing a civilization hey this city is riding what should we do hey who should we trade with what, what about our economy that kind of stuff okay i yeah and so that's the premise basically i mean the games have more complexity than that but that's the the gist i felt like this was playing the management part not the battlefield part mm. and th- that's a part of that game that usually breaks me down over time mm-hmm. i'm really getting into the battles and i like the military strategy and oh look at you know you're laying out your troops and setting them up and you're doing flanking maneuvers yada yada and then you at some point have to go like look at your tax policy for an hour and like really look at the <laughs> look at the math of it and think like jesus i don't should i tax carthage more they're pretty rebellious but i'm you know <laughs> controlling rome and, you know. and so this felt like that to me where i just had i felt bogged down i guess would be the way to phrase it yeah. it wasn't always totally miserable though like i think in like in this extended now simile i enjoy that part of those games at times but they it is the part that usually breaks me and i'm just like i think i'm done with this game i've had my time with it i've had my fill and this felt that way like there were just it was just the bombardment of the style and the listing and all that i think at some point it just wore me down i was i was cool with it for a bit i was like a game you know Mm -hmm. i was on board but yeah it 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 defeated me in the end (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i did not even like I wouldn't even say that I was on board at any point. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, a, a, just like a less charming version of that Great Fire of London journal that we read. I was way more on board with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, he was just more personal on that one. Yeah. Well, let's let's jump into some connections then. We also like to begin the reviews with some kind of relevance or connection to 2020, which is the year we're reviewing this. Did you find any explicit connections, Amanda, that don't relate to coronavirus? But if you got to do it, just do it. <laughs> I, I, That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I actually um, related it to the idea of othering. Um, part of the propaganda yeah. is to kind of like talk about th- what he kept referring to the natives of savages and stuff like that. So just uh, making people that you um, don't understand and aren't familiar with, and you're not a part of that particular group, just making them seem lesser in a lot of ways. And there's a For lot sure. of like, yeah. you know, white male supremacy going on in here and it's it's all very blatant racism and everything and i just thought that related a lot to uh, a lot of our social movements today and and the way that people are trying to tackle those issues yeah and it's striking to see it so out loud and so direct though i don't know in 2020 you can find it pretty out loud and pretty direct too if you you don't have to look very hard for that you don't really have to go upturn many rocks to find that (laughs) but this is yeah this is blatant in a in a sort of I would describe this as, and I I can't back this up 100% historically, because I know there was some exploration and some intercontinental traveling, obviously between the connected continents for sure, but, or not even the trans-oceanic stuff, but this kind of reads like first contact stuff. Mm -hmm. Like we didn't even know. I mean, it's funny though, because they mention ports that they know people have been to, but then when they go there, sometimes the interactions with the people there it feels like the first time they would have ever encountered them. He describes them in that way. Sometimes he'll jot down things about their social hierarchies and structures and stuff like that. So it, it feels kind of like an anthropologist at times, but a racist one for sure. For sure. Or, you know, (laughs) uh, there's no, yeah, there's no question. It's, it's explicit in the text. So yeah, yeah, but it does have that feeling of it, it lacks the subtlety and the veiled language that you would come to expect. Now it's just, these people are alien to me and I will treat them that way. Yeah. Super, super racist Star Trek um, with mm. some added like commentary on the superiority of the culture and, and like lies about, <laughs> about how mm-hmm. everybody just automatically wants to join the Federation. <laughs> I also found it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's good. Well said. I, I also found it odd that, for each of peoples they encountered, which seemed pretty varied, they always seem to be able to like communicate with them. Uh, he never explains yeah. if they have a translator or multiple translators. And, uh, you know, unsurprisingly, most of the encounters end up with the peoples they meet believing they are gods of some kind right. or that they, you know, it's like we were given many things and they, they bowed to us. They tried to make us their king and yada, yada. Some of them just shoot them with bows though, which is yeah, fair. A, but, a lot of them so did. <laughs> yeah. And especially in the second, in the, in the Candish one, a lot of that stuff happens. Yeah. But yeah, it, it felt underexplained in a way that uh, propaganda generally tends to lean to. So I think that made sense. I think we've we've danced around the text pretty well up to this point. Let's just <laughs> dig into some quotes. This is when we like to get into the clarifying part of the pod where we dive in deep, um, trying to spoil anything. In this case, that feels odd to say because who knows what we could spoil here. Um, Amanda, why don't you begin <laughs> us with a quote that struck you from the uh, from the hack loot? Sure. Um, so I pulled... Uh, I think just one quote from this, the the Candish one and then two quotes from the Drake one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will go with a positive thing um, 
just to go ahead Ooh. and get that out of the way. <laughs> Very flattering of you to do so. <laughs> so um, the quote is, on both sides of the straits, there are vast mountains covered with snow, their tops reaching in many places to great heights, having often two or three ranges of clouds below their summits. The air in the straits was extremely cold with almost continual frost and snow, yet the trees and plants retained a constant verdure, growing and flourishing in spite of the severity of the climate. And then he goes on to talk more about the um, what he sees there. But what I, I pulled this quote because the I, I enjoyed some of his descriptions, not, not all of them, but some of his descriptions of what he sees yeah. because that's the only time that we actually get to see any real, like that's when he like takes a pause from just listing things to actually like get into some details. And so I, I just clung on to those pieces <laughs> whenever they came up. Um, and so that's, that's an example. So when he does describe, you know, it's kind of like a nice, it's like a breath of fresh air there where you can kind of relax from the tedium of the rest of the reading. And it's a, it's a work devoid of personality or style. Yeah. I, I would say, I, th- I think there are stylistic elements to it, but they're not, I don't know. They're not very striking or personable or something. Yeah. And compared to any other, popular today nonfiction that features like firsthand accounts, boots on the ground, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, you're going to be just looking for scraps of interesting writing. Yeah. It's mostly very functional. Um, let me throw in a quote then. I also tried to pick one that was positive quote unquote, but it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's complicated. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll read it and then we can discuss it. It was um, from the second account as well from the Caddish one. It says, for example, if their king commanded them to undertake any exploit, be it never so dangerous or desperate, they dare not nor will refuse it, though they die every man in the execution of the same. For he will cut off the heads of every one of them which return alive without bringing of their purpose to pass. They never fear any death. If any of them feel himself hurt with lance or sword, he will willingly run himself upon the weapon quite through his body to procure his death more speedily. And in his desperate sort, end his days or overcome his enemy. That is a description he gives of a native tribe that they encounter, I believe, in South America. I think, mm-hmm. did all of this take place in South America for the most part? Some of it also took North? place, I think, in like Africa. Oh, okay. Oh, I guess they do. Does he mention the Cape down there? Like the, what? what's the southern, the, is it called the Horn? Yeah. Cape? Yeah. Horn yeah, yeah. something. Okay. Yeah. Certainly, I, I guess I'm just steering this toward not not the European places they would have known well, basically. Like, he, he clearly knows a lot about Spain, Portugal, and England. Yeah. <laughs> and the, mm-hmm. those are the places that he, you know, where he clearly is familiar with the cultures and peoples in history. And then everywhere else is kind of just like, we met another group of people and they had these odd habits. You know, it's pretty, it's, again, sometimes veiled and racist and sometimes just outright so. But this one, this quote, it's interesting as a document of history, I can't read that and but be intrigued because obviously you don't know what to believe. That's part of the intrigue of reading a quote like that. You wonder if he's exaggerating. You wonder if he's just putting some hyperbole into this encounter they had with maybe a warrior-based culture or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so it reads as very intense and kind of exaggerated. Mm-hmm. I think knowing that this is propaganda before you read it is a crucial component to approaching it well right. and even understanding it because it's sort of like the Marco Polo my brother and I reviewed forever ago in this collection if you approach it literally it will actually make no sense at times or at least not that it won't make sense but elements of it will seem so re- absurd that you'll just wonder 
what was this? But we believe this person like what? Right. And it's yeah, there's elements of truth, elements of of uh, exaggeration. So I thought a quote like that, it at least drew out my interest, you know? Right. Yeah. When he talks about some of the um, uh, the people of the natives and, and their tribes and stuff that plus the the descriptions of nature were the only times that like I actually stopped skimming. <laughs> the information because yeah. it's no yeah. longer a list um but the the savage the, when he calls them the savages and he talks about um their tribes and stuff it's just there's so many questions that i have when i read them because i did your copy have footnotes at all it did not no penguin's been really light on those throughout this entire classics collection yeah so several of my footnotes were like this information is inaccurate and this information yeah, is a gross yeah, exaggeration of of the time and blah, blah blah there's one i'll read one um footnote for you this is a gross error probably a misprint for 20 leagues of longitude as the quantity in the text would have driven blah 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 so here it even says that the the latitude and longitude like his actual navigation his writing of the navigation is also wrong a right. lot of the time so it's like you just can't believe yeah. anything he says <laughs> yeah and well and isn't it strange though because would i believe that he was there yes I think that's a pretty easy fact of history to prove, you know? Mm -hmm. I, d I don't believe there's some conspiratorial thing going on like he just lived in the western coast of England his entire life and wrote these things and published them r randomly and luckily and, you know, with some subterfuge or something. And so, yeah, it just becomes one of those documents of history that is such an oddity. Like, And I, I guess when, again, referring back to Marco Polo, when Ryan and I did that one, there are some people who doubt that he even traveled like at all <laughs> outside of like around Italy and maybe the Mediterranean. Right. And so there are these big questions about how much of the, how much of these early explorers can be believed. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I, maybe I shouldn't even believe that he did travel at all. I, perhaps that is fictionalized. Um, but I, I just don't want to get involved in any grand historical conspiracies, but it's, it's true that you can both be a part of something and then misremember it, exaggerate it. I mean, these are the, the lies that build over time with people and their, you know, memories and experiences. So yeah. it's, and quotes like that, I think again, to me then with all of that considered and that perspective in mind, that is an intriguing quote. Cause again, it draws me out to think who were these people? Are there, have anyone found records of what group was this? What society was that? And what, what was he thinking that was true? What was exaggerated? So yeah. I, there were interesting quotes like that throughout. Not many, but some. Yeah. I'm trying to find uh, whether there was a footnote about, um, about that, but. Uh, well, feel free yeah. to keep looking. I can take another quote on. Yeah. Why don't I just get my listing quote out there? I'm sure you have one at the ready. Here's another example of the stylistic trappings of this work from page. I don't even write the page number down. Well, it was in the first half anyway. Early on, it says, quote, at sea, our general rifled the ship and found in her good store of the wine of Chile and 25,000 pesos of very pure and fine gold of Aldivia, amounting in value to 37,000. Is it ducats or ducats of I Spanish think it's, money? Yeah, ducats. Ducats of Spanish money. We arrived next at a place called Coquimbo, where our general sent 14 of his men on land to fetch water. But they were espied by the Spaniards who came with 300 horsemen and 200 footmen and slew one of our men with a piece. And on and on it goes. That, that is the writing of this text. If you enjoyed listening to that, it's a lot of numbers. It's a lot of listing of facts that occurred. <laughs> Again, perhaps some exaggerated, perhaps some real, like... I can't confirm the horseman count or the footman count there. That seems oddly specific for a person who is getting chased by Spaniards with weapons. 
but that's a majority of what this is. It is listing from place to place, very factual, pretty straightforward. And, you know, how believable was it? Uh, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, I guess. Mm-hmm. I didn't find very much of that enjoyable to read, of course. It was dry. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I'm not sure if you had a quote like that one or if you had a, a reading like that. Um. Yeah, I mean, that's most of the stuff, right? From the very beginning, the very first paragraph um, in in the Drake, I was just like, oh, my God. And I, I read the first, like, two sentences to my husband, who was on a submarine for, like, half of his adult life and stuff. And, and he was yeah, the yeah. navigator of – he's one of the navigators for um, – the submarine so like i thought that oh well let's see how he responds to all this like latitude longitude talk and stuff like that and i read the first two sentences and he was like oh my god that sounds terrible and boring <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. You know, somebody who has done that for his you know job and his life <laughs> he was just like nope i don't want to hear that <laughs> yeah it you have to be I, the sea, it's funny because seafaring and those kinds of adventure stories and that lifestyle has been very fictionalized, not even in our lifetimes for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so the fantastical elements and the, the exciting, thrilling elements of that stuff has gotten so built up yeah. that I don't, I don't think people are ready for the true day-to-day account, though he does skip a lot of ahead in time. Often he'll skip a month, more than a month in time yeah. and just say, eh, you know, we stayed there for a month, moving on. So I'm not sure Penguin edited that stuff out, but yeah, the the day-to-day activities, the way, the the factual nature of the writing and the very dry nature, it just, I, you know, do you want or need to read that? We can leave that stuff to the historians. That's what we're, that's what we're paying them for, you know? Right. That's, <laughs> you get, they can sift through it and figure it out. Like, it, I don't know why a person who is even interested in the history of seafaring would need to read this document directly. Which I, when we were looking, when I was looking up um, this, these uh, writings online and we were um, having difficulty because the editing, right. So Penguin had edited particular parts. And then, so I had to like kind of figure it out from there. But if they've already edited some of these things, like why, why would they keep that information in, the parts that were cut out were actually like background information and like uh, the history, the biographies of like Captain Drake and um, Candish. So I was Hmm. a little confused about why they would keep information about latitude and longitude, but not keep the background information about the actual explorers. (laughs) I I get the sense that, and I can only tell from the description on the back and then the quote they pull for like the feature quote or the pull quote from the beginning. It seems like they wanted stuff from around the world. Like it seems like they didn't want to keep anything about England or biographical things. They mostly wanted when he was elsewhere, what were, what was he writing about basically? Mm. You know, when he was not in and around England or talking about the people that he was with and profiling them, what was he writing about? And so that's the sense that I get, but it certainly didn't mean he, he made it interesting or uh, approachable for a person 400 years later yeah. to be reading this. You know, it, it definitely was not written for us. That is that much feels quite clear as you're encountering this. Yeah. But I did um, notice as well that, so this is supposed to be propaganda where he's talking about how amazing England is uh, and that all these natives are um, like the, the Kings and, and chieftains of, of, other natives are like bowing down to the majesty of queen elizabeth um but 
there, I've noticed too, that there was uh, a certain amount of hypocrisy and I was just like, I picked up on it Mm -hmm. so easily. I was just like, Oh, really? Like, is this, did this work back then for propaganda? So (laughs) I pulled an Mm -hmm. example. Um, So it's on two different pages for what I printed out. But so this is the first half. It says, although the Spaniards have made them converts to Christianity, they use them more like dogs than men or Christians. Okay. And then he goes on to talk about how uh, the the English plundered and burned down Puna, uh, which was ruled by a Christian chief because he married a a Spanish woman. And then Mm -hmm. the the English then turn around and and it says the church also of Puna, which stood near near the palace was burnt down and it's five bells carried to the ships. So he's like talking shit about how the Spaniards had uh, are mistreating these natives, even though the natives have been converted to Christianity, but then they turn around and they burn down an entire town and their Christian church like, right, right. Yeah, they're not the most pious folks, you know. They're not not the most uh, God worshiping, maybe God fearing folks. Yeah. So I, I can jump in. Then let me add in my hypocrisy quote nice. because I found one as well. That was I wanted to make sure I picked out something that hit on the propaganda angle, and this was the one that I, I settled on. It's when they arrive at a place they call it the Haven of Guadalupe or Guatulco. Guatulco. There we go. Guatulco. <laughs> The name, again, the names, man, it just becomes abbreviations <laughs> in my head. That's just how I read. <laughs> and, it's, and then you have to say it out loud and you realize, I don't think I processed that word. Anyway, <laughs> and it's to, it's toward the end of that journey where they arrive there and they get the judges on the ship. And it says, both which judges oh, yeah. and prisoners we took and brought them a shipboard and caused the chief judge to write his letter to the town to command all the townsmen to avoid that we might safely water there. You know, you stop there and you think, okay, well, they're, you know, they're strong arming the judge, like welcome us, give us some supplies. Then the immediate next sentence is, which being done, they departed and we ransacked the town, which that was (laughs) such a hilarious and ludicrous transition that, you know, I almost read it and laughed. And I think you can only laugh at history when it's maybe, you know, 400 years in the past or whatever. I don't know what the statute of limitations on laughing at an awful thing is, but I, you know, you can't read a sentence like that and just think this person wasn't even trying to hide this. Like he just said, they lied to them and tricked them. And then they, you know, pillaged their town anyway, and they took whatever they wanted. And so I, you know, as a work of propaganda, it's odd then because you would expect it to be more subtle, but it's it's at times it is, and then at times it's just not. They just come across like the conquering pillaging type. So yeah. I don't know. It was such an odd document to read for that reason. And and it's crazy too because it's a lot of the the pillaging and the plundering is almost written in list form too because it happens so often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and then we took the, you know, then we got some bushels of hay and a cut. They, they had a barrel of silk. Great. Yeah. And we took five barrels. Of, it weighed a ton. We took a ton of silk and yeah. we put it on our ship. Yeah, it's a lot of things like that. Did you have any other quotes then? Because I feel like I, I think I got in all of mine. Did you have another one to discuss? Um. Just, uh, I guess I have one more, and it's just to to point out that even something that could possibly be interesting, like a side story or something, he never actually mm-hmm. fully explores. He just drops it in and is like, yep, okay, well, there's that fact, I guess, and I'm going to move on to listing some more stuff. So right. this one is from the Drake reading, and it says, uh, so he, they were supposed to, the, the natives had promised that they were going to come back and like, 
give them some stuff, but instead they, it says, but they perfidiously, what great word, made him a prisoner threatening to stab him if he made any resistance. They then mounted him on horseback and carried him into the interior, but he was afterwards sent back in safety to England. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're just like, Really? That could have been really interesting. Like, what? Yeah, it falls off a cliff there. <laughs> yeah. They did that earlier, too, or he did that when he they were they were going through some strait or some pass, and they just found a dead person in the water. Yeah. But that's all the... It's just like, and we saw a dead man in the water. <laughs> yeah. <And> okay. <laughs> no follow-up? I mean, I guess they weren't detectives. They probably didn't investigate it. Yeah. But yeah, there, it, there's little oddities like that, which now that we say it, it almost makes it more, I don't know, appealing to read, but it, it didn't carry it. The whole thing felt too heavy and and boring right if they if he had gone through the trouble of like explaining like oh and this is what he saw in the interior and this is what they did to him while they had him like i would have found that way more interesting yeah yeah i I agree the style does not carry this one (laughs) let's jump to the literary corner now amanda and teach the listener something about literature before we head to the review this is when we try and educate you on just any literary concept or technique rhetorical device etc it was really tempting to do journal again but we've done journal before and Mm -hmm. we're trying not to repeat these and so you pulled propaganda which i think works perfectly do you want to run us through what what propaganda is sure uh so propaganda according to wikipedia is information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. So essentially um, telling uh, half-truths or manipulating truths or just straight-up lying (laughs) Uh in order to make someone or something seem amazing and great. Yeah. I think this... So as I said earlier, this work really changes i think once you know that it is propaganda and then once it's been historically categorized and accepted as a work of propaganda i think the readability comes up a bunch when that happens Mm -hmm. um i'll add in quickly because i did pull some stuff from the penguin literary dictionary about propaganda and their uh, here's a couple things from their definition it is a term lifted from a committee of the roman church responsible for foreign missions set up in 1622 so it's a pretty frankly a pretty old term yeah if an author sets out to make a case for a particular religious social or political point of view though the media through the medium sorry of a player novel or like a short story for example and he is seen to be doing this and contrives character and situation to suit his thesis then it might say the resulting work is of propaganda. And basically it concludes their definition. Propaganda is devoted to the spreading of a particular idea or belief. Mm-hmm. And they also mentioned, I didn't pull this quote, but I'll just paraphrase it. They also mentioned in their definition, how propaganda generally does not hold up over time because it sacrifices human depth or universality for just a short term goal. Uh, right. You know, it wants to achieve something so immediate that it doesn't think, how will this hold up as art in the course of human history, essentially, which is a pretty lofty description. But I think that, I don't know. I mean, this, yeah, definitely. And some propaganda, because we know it to be so, will hold up over time. I'm thinking of the, in American education anyway, the iconic, and I say that really hesitating, but it's true because of how often it's referred to, the iconic propaganda of Nazi Germany will be taught forever. I right. mean, you will see those images that they used, mm-hmm. the pamphlets, the pictures, the on and on and on, the color, the way they use color and exaggeration and caricature and all that stuff. Like that stuff will be taught in history class forever yeah. until we stop teaching history or somehow. And so, yeah, I, I guess propaganda has its place. 
obviously when it's at its most dangerous is when you are living in the time of it, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, whatever the propaganda of your era is, is the stuff you should be most concerned with. Once you remove yourself like this, you know, a couple hundred years, it just becomes, I don't know, an intriguing historical document, kind of interesting. I thought the propaganda angle in this was the most interesting to think about. Yeah. So what did you think um, they were trying to propagate then? Just, I suppose, just that the English were were doing like admirable, adventurous kind of seafaring, especially compared to Spain. It seems like the Spain and the Portuguese were the ones they were competing with. And so it was just kind of like, look, you know, and there's even a point where they go out of their way to talk about how they made it to some land first. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. we put our flag down or we left a plaque there or something, you know, something like that. So it just seemed like here's proof that England is seafaring at a, at, in a better, more effective way than anyone else. We're being fair. Although, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Even they reveal that they weren't <laughs> at times. I, I've let them define what they mean by fair, but yeah. yeah, sort of like we're bringing our justice to the world, yada, yada, just that early colonialism stuff, roughly speaking. Yeah. Um, I agree. But I, I could see that. I don't know how effective it would have been, but I think it would have immersed people in, you know, such a foreign notion of this, like I'm traveling the entire world. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a bit of escapism to it. I think in that way to it, I, I suppose at the time, if you were an English person reading this, you'd think, wow, we're pretty impressive. You know, look at us as a civilization. We're like better than Spain. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I'm not sure if it affected me in that way, but given that lens, it's far more interesting to read. Yeah. I also noticed that they also were trying, trying to push um, that they were like almost ordained by God, right? That, they, yeah, it's an yeah. approved mission um, through God in order to uh, essentially defeat and uh, outplay the the Portuguese and the span the Spaniards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think without that angle, it, I I don't know. It, to me, I almost wanted more religious just boisterousness, mm-hmm. you know, and like zealotry. <laughs> it, it even, I like, I didn't pick up on that stuff too often. It does come up though mm-hmm. a couple of times. Well, they he, whenever they do something, he does say like, like God would have wanted, or right. apparently God didn't want that. I just wanted, I guess, more of that stuff to be directly about the peoples they encountered. Yeah. Again, I say that not as like, I like <laughs> colonialism and religious zealotry. I just think this far removed, I almost wanted it to be just like more hyperbolic in a way. Mm-hmm. I think it would have made it more of an absurd and intriguing read. And so, yeah, I don't know, kind of the state nature of some of it almost pushed me away yeah. from reading it. And yeah, I don't know. It's all, it was, again, this is almost an absurd thing to say, considering it's like an explicitly racist document of propaganda, but it, it did feel reserved at times and kind of just boring, like very yeah. content to just list off stuff and not really, I almost wanted it to be more opinionated, you know, it would have made, <laughs> for a more fascinating and engaging read, if not like a really, you know, offensive one 400 years later. Yeah, I I completely agree. It's even though there are some elements to it that could have been really interesting and really good for like study about the mindset of that time and the mindset of the author, it was just because of the, the lack of detail there and the lack of personal commentary that it, it fell flat and it just seemed like he was just even with, talking about certain anecdotes it was just like he was listing and just writing down a date like pepis did at the beginning (laughs) like just a a Mm -hmm. day-to-day entry of like well the weather is this today and we're at this latitude oh yeah by the way some dude got killed okay next day (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. oh bob you don't know bob don't worry about bob but he's dead (laughs) though but it's fine (laughs) yeah 
I'm sorry to my uncle Bob who may listen to this. Uh, that's just become my default man name. If I I use it when I'm t- teaching or tutoring all the time, it's like the first name I pick. I don't know why. To me, it's like the bland. It's like the average human name is yeah, Bob. Yeah. Even though I I think that's just objectively very wrong. It may have been like 50 or 60 years ago, but if, I don't know. Yeah, I just I use that name all the time. Anyway. Let's move to the review part of this episode. Then I think we've done our, our deep dive and due diligence. Um, let's go to the Russell Friendship Memoriam. So what's good about it segment. And we do have to give genuine praise here in this segment to this text. I'm going to go first because I've basically done mine. I'm just going to say it in one sentence and repeat everything I just said. <laughs> as soon as you know, this is propaganda. A lot of the encounters do become kind of fascinating in the way. And he writes about peoples and he approaches them is then considered, I think I consider it to be kind of intriguing to analyze it that way. So I, I did enjoy that part of it. Mm. I said that I enjoyed some of the descriptions of the natural setting. Yeah. <laughs> and there was some. Yeah. The mountains, like you read earlier. Yeah. You know who did that way better in his nonfiction writing in this collection was the uh, Moby Dick guy, Herman Melville. His well, yeah. descriptions of the, uh, his seafaring were, because, you know, he's got the literary chops, quote right. unquote. He was, you know, like a poet and novelist. His descriptions of nature were, like, brutal. Like, really, because he found it very horrifying and dangerous. And so, yeah, I, I remember I loved reading that. That was a three-star one in the collection for me. Anyway. I think it's telling, too, that he is, you know, a revered novelist and, and short story writer. So, Hackflute, yeah, I think, yeah. only wrote nonfiction, so. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, and he was a minister, like you mentioned before we started recording. Yeah. Let's move then to the numerical ratings. We do like to rate on a three-point system here. For whatever reason, we've kept this going. I like the system, but I don't know why the numbers exist still. Here they are. <laughs> a one means... I almost want to do... Maybe we'll do it with it today. Okay, here's the three-point system we're going up with without numbers. Either don't read this, 100% definitely read this, or maybe read this. It's a yes, no, maybe system. That's really okay, what it is, there we folks. Go. The, the number has always been an artificial thing. I don't know why. I think because, I don't know, I come from a background of like reading gaming magazines as a young person and they always did like number systems. It's mm. kind of like movies. It's like the star thing. You know, right. it's like, oh, three, three points or five. Anyway, basically it's a yes, maybe no system, Amanda. I'm going a hard no. Do not read this. No need. If you're interested in the adventures of the ocean, just watch a good movie or whatever. I don't know. Pirates of the Caribbean or Master and Commander, you know, take it how you want. But I don't think this is going to do much for anyone other than historians. And if you're interested in the history of Sir Francis Drake, you could probably find a better like collected account of many different things from some historian. Yeah. So it's a no for me. Yeah. Uh, I also, it's a definite no. Um, <laughs> yeah. It is yeah. so dry it is not entertaining it was not entertaining me at all and it actually reminded me a lot of um when we read sinbad the sailor um the the Mm. just listing and the tidbits of possibly interesting ideas and possibly interesting anecdotes that are never explored and if you do want to read propaganda right i mean you can look at stuff from the world wars or look at our current political figures today like you you see all the ads going on right yeah. this is a, right. an election year look at all the propaganda there that's it's way more interesting and way more relevant to today and, and much more for sure. important for you to pick up on that stuff and if you want and insight been, yeah. yeah if you want more insight yeah, yeah. into english culture from like hundreds of years ago 
you can, there are so many other journals and stuff like that, that you could read that would be more personal and more engaging in that. There's probably going to be more details about anecdotes. So, yeah. Yeah. I think even the only, what I was going to interject with earlier was just propaganda yeah. also has been honed in the last yeah. about 400 years. And so I think that the way this comes across again, knowing that is interesting, but if you encountered this without knowing that, I think it would read as just kind of a boring journal of, yeah. a, per, of a person who clearly lived a long time ago. And that's yeah. that would probably be your view. So I think, yeah, even if I were to design a propaganda class, I don't even know if this would make the cut. I guess it might have to for its historic importance or something. And it maybe is an early example or whatever. But yeah, I, there's just so many more potent and relevant examples just consume some information online and think carefully and you'll probably find some before you know it. Yeah. You'll probably encounter some yeah, without having to look very hard. Again, <laughs> yeah. you don't really have to turn any stones over to find that. Yep. Yeah. So it's a no for both of us, Amanda. Um, I appreciate you slogging through though and enduring this journey. We do get to return next week to some uh, fiction with Kate Chopin, who's an author I've really liked in the past mm-hmm. and actually had to study in college a good amount. So that should be fascinating to revisit her and see what I think on a, on a next visit. Until next week's review of Kate Chopin's short stories, we will see you between the classics. 